Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this 4th of July weekend, and I pray and hope that your holiday is safe and great. And uh, I want to thank you again for being a part of watching us online. And by the way, please uh, get on our chat line. Let us hear from you. We'd love to hear the comments, the questions. If you have a prayer concern or whatever, we'd love to hear from you today. You know, life, if you think about it, is kind of like reading a book. There's a beginning, and then there is an ending, and then there is, uh, you know, what you've got in between. And it's the same way, really, when you start out with a book. You know, when you start out reading a book, you start at the beginning, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what the book is about, where the book is going. And then you start getting into the middle of the book, and you start flipping through the chapters, and you're, you're following the plot, you're engaging in the storyline. But, but there comes that point where you start wondering, how's this thing going to end? How, how's the story going to wind up? Is it going to be one of those, and they live happily ever after kind of endings, or maybe not so much? And then you even wonder, was the book even worth reading at all? Life, in a way, is just like that. All of us are like that. We have a beginning. We have an ending. we got a storyline in between. But this is what's kind of interesting. When you're younger, you, you kind of really, all you think about is, is life. You think about kind of the beginning and, and how life is lived. But then as you grow older, you begin to think more about death. And then as you get closer from the beginning to the ending, you start thinking about all that was in between. And you really start wondering, did my life really matter? Did my life really count? And then you even turn your focus to, but how am I going to end up? That's exactly what a king named David was thinking about and doing as he wrote the last stanza of a song in what we call the 23rd Psalm. It is the most famous of all the songs. This song has topped the charts for more than 2,500 years. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, and yet there is no question about it. This song, the 23rd Psalm, is the best known, the best loved, the most quoted psalm of all of them. And if you're just joining us for the first time, we have been in a series that we've been calling Pitch Perfect. Because when you read this psalm, it is so incredible to see how rich, so deep, how powerful it is, and how to address his life from the beginning, through the storyline, all the way to the end. Now, when David wrote this last stanza, verse 6 in Psalm 23, he didn't know how many days, how many weeks, how many months, how many years he had left in his life. But he definitely closes on a high note. He's describing what his life will be like until it ends. And then he's anticipating what his life will be like after it ends. In other words, what David does in the last stanza of this song is he's looking at the now and he's looking at the forever. He's looking at the beginning the storyline and the end, and then what comes after that storyline. I, I, I generally fly quite a bit. I haven't lately, obviously, but I generally fly quite a bit. And I remember one time years ago, I was at the airport, and I was having to check my luggage. And uh, so the lady said, uh, sir, what is your final destination? I thought I'd kind of be funny, and I said, well, heaven is my final destination. She kind of looked up, and she smiled. She said, well, I, I can't check your bags to heaven. And I looked at her and I said, well, that's okay. Based on my experience, they probably wouldn't make it there anyway. Now, if, if you're like 80% of the people in this country, you either believe there's more to life than this life, or you hope there's more to life than this life. You hope that life has a comma at the end of the sentence, not a period. 
Well, in the last stanza in this beautiful song, David shares with us that there is more to life than this life if one thing is true, if the Lord is our shepherd. If the Lord is our shepherd, there is more to life than this life. So let's listen to this last stanza now. David said, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's the now. And after the ending, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is talking about now, and he's talking about forever. And David tells us two things about life. One about life after death, one about life before death. If the Lord is our shepherd, is absolutely true. So just two quick things today. He said, now we live in God's hands on earth. If the Lord is your shepherd, right now, wherever you are, or whatever your circumstances, you are in God's hands on earth. Now, David is convinced that no matter how many chapters of life are left in the book of his life, it doesn't matter. Here's what he believes. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. David's absolutely convinced, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, no matter what situation I'm in, every morning when I get up, two things are going to come behind me all of my life. God's goodness and God's love. They're going to follow me every day in every, every way. I can't shake them. I can't hide from them. I can't lose them. I can't get away from them. He says every time he looks behind him, he knows two things are right there. God's goodness and God's love. Now, the first one is God's goodness. Listen to it again. He says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me. He says, God's goodness will follow behind me all the time. Now, let me say this. I am not saying, David was not saying, and this verse does not mean that everything that happens to us all the time is always going to be good. What it does mean is this, no matter what happens to us, when it happens, where it happens, how it happens, some way, somehow, this magnificent God, this shepherd of ours is going to take everything that comes our way and he's going to work it out for our good. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but God's goodness is always right behind you. It is always right around you. It is always right above you. As a matter of fact, Every good thing that ever happens to you, every good thing that ever comes to you comes from God. Don't take my word for it. James, the brother of Jesus, who, by the way, was eventually beheaded. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. Think about every good thing that's ever come into your life, no matter what kind of good thing it may be, material, immaterial. Spiritual, natural, doesn't matter. Think of every good thing, things you would consider good that's come into your life. He said they have come down from the Father. Every good thing we have comes from God. Now, admittedly, there are some things that are good things that God gives us, but we don't realize it, and we don't recognize it. Let, let me just give you an example. Take lightning. Just, just think about that bolt of lightning that occasionally you see that flashes across the sky. Did you know that the goodness of God is even in a flash of lightning? For example, we've got to have nitrogen in our body or we can't live. That's one of the, that's one of the chemicals, that, that's one of the compounds that we've got to have in our body if we're even going to survive. The problem is, although the atmosphere is full of it, we can't breathe it into our lungs. It's, it's impossible. We can't absorb it into our lungs because it would kill us. So here's what God does. God sends this electrical, 
electrical charge called lightning flashing through the air. And here's what it does. He, it, it separates the nitrate in the atmosphere from the nitrite. It, it separates actually the nitrogen from the atmosphere and the rain, and it brings that nitrogen down to earth. Now, when that rain hits, there's this, there's this little bacteria that transforms that nitrate into a nitrite in the form where a plant can absorb it. And then here's what happens. When we eat the plant that absorbs that nitrite, or we eat the animal that ate the plant that absorbs that nitrite, we get the nitrogen into our body that we need to survive. So the next time you just simply see a bolt of lightning flash through the sky, you can say, God, you are so good. Your goodness follows me everywhere I go. See, the problem is we take God's goodness for granted so often that, that, that we just forget how good God is. That there was a, um, a dad, he had three little children, and uh, he, he doted on those kids. He's kind of like I do my grandkids. He spoiled them, gave them everything that they wanted. I mean, they were all the apple of his eyes. He loved those kids. But, but, but at times, they would complain about things they, they didn't get or things that, that, they got, that they got tired of or things that they didn't like and, or they didn't get what they wanted. And it just irritated him one time. And they were having one of those, you know, griping moments, complaining moments. And so he decided as a good dad, hey, this is a great time to teach something to my kids. They were complaining about something they didn't like. And so he said, I want all you kids to sit down. So they all sat down on the floor. He said, let me tell you how things were when I was a kid. And it was one of those, you know, when I was a kid talks that kids love to, to hear. They really don't, but you, you know that. He said, kids, he said, you just don't realize how good you've got it. He said, let me tell you about me. He said, when I was a boy, he said, I had to, let, I had to get up before daylight to deliver newspapers. He said, I had to walk to school every day. It didn't matter if it was raining snowing, hot, cold. I had to walk to school every single day. When I got out of school and I got older, I had to work in a grocery store to make even more money because mom and dad didn't make a lot of money. And sometimes we didn't have a lot to eat. And so I had to work at a grocery store just to help out. And I didn't get to do a lot of the things that you got to do. Well, man, his kids' eyes were as big as saucers, and, and, and they were just in awe of what their dad had told them. And, you know, he was kind of feeling pretty good and patting himself on the back and thought he'd, you know, gotten the message across until his little four-year-old boy looked at him and with his big eyes, and he said, wow, Dad. He said, I bet you really are glad you live with us right now. Now, God's goodness always follows us. It goes with us everywhere we go. But watch this. David said, not only does God's goodness follow us all the days of our life, God's love follows us all the days of our life. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me. Now, that word for follow literally means to pursue or to run after. In other words, here's what David was saying. If the Lord is your shepherd, Every day of your life, right on your heels, right behind you, never leaving you, you've got God's goodness and you've got God's love. They are right on your heels. They are always at your back. Let me tell you something. There's one thing you'll never hear God say. Never. You will never hear God say these words. I don't love you anymore. You may hear that from a girlfriend or a boyfriend. <laughs> you may hear that from a former wife or a former husband. You may hear that from a, someone you thought was your best buddy, but you will never hear God say, I don't love you 
anymore. There is never, there's, no, there's one thing that nobody in this world is ever without, whether they realize it or not. Nobody is ever without the love of God. There's one thing you can never leave behind. There's one thing you can never shut the door on, and that is the love of God. And listen to me carefully. God's love runs hot all the time. It doesn't run hot one day, cold the next. His love runs hot all the time. He will love you just the same when you do bad. He'll love you just the same when you do good. He won't love you more when you do what's good. And he won't love you less when you do what is bad. I read this is a great story. There was a man who uh, was a big James Bond fan, which, by the way, I am too. But he, he was a big James Bond fan and, and since he was a kid. And from the time he was just a little boy, he dreamed one day of, of owning an Aston Martin, which is the same car that James Bond drove. And so, uh, uh, you know, as he began to work, he, he began to save money. He had an Aston Martin fund. And he started saving money for this Aston Martin because he wanted to drive the same car that James Bond drove. Well, through the years, he finally saved up enough money and he found this used Aston Martin and he went and, and he loved it and he bought it and he paid for it. That car was the apple of his eye. Every Saturday, without fail, he would get up and he would wash that car inside and out. He would spit shine it. He would, he would polish the rims. He would, you know, you know uh, polish the car. He knew every bolt, every piece of chrome on that car. He loved that car. Well, his wife never, ever, ever asked to drive it because she knew that was kind of his pet car and she didn't really care to drive it anyway. But one day, she was going to the grocery store and he just wanted to be a loving husband. He said, you know what? You have never driven this car. He said, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch the kids. You take the car to the grocery store. Well, she didn't really want it. She said, no, listen, you will love it. He said, here's the keys. You go take it and you go enjoy it. So she gets in the car and sure enough, you know, it was a convertible and, and, and she let the cover down and uh, uh, over the, and, and she could feel the power of that car and it handled like a dream, the feel, the ride. It was, she said, I know now why he loves this car. And everything was going just great until out of the corner of her eye, she saw a kid, a little boy on a bicycle who was about to ride right in front of her car. When she swerved to miss that boy, she T-bones a pickup truck. The front of that Aston just crumpled, I mean, like a piece of paper. Glass broke. You know, the car went dead, and she was in total shock. She wasn't hurt. The guy in the truck wasn't hurt, but the car was just totaled. Well, a man came running over to her, and he said, ma'am, he said, are, are, lady, are, are you okay? And, and she said, well, yes, I'm okay, so let me get you out of the car. So he helped get her out of the car, and he took her to the curb, and he said, listen, just sit here, so I'll call the police. They'll be here in a moment. You just sit here, and, and we'll make sure everybody's okay. She said, as she was sitting on that curb, she said, all she could think about was, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I'm okay, but Jim's going to kill me. I don't even know what he's going to do. Our, our marriage won't be the same. I can't believe this has happened to me. Now, her husband was a good husband, and she knew he would eventually get over it, but she just knew how much he loved that car, and she was just crushed. The first time she drives the car, the car is totally wrecked, and she just couldn't bear to see the look on his face when he got the call to let her, him know that his precious car had been totaled. She was just sick, and she's sitting on that curve, and she's thinking about it, and uh, she was just deep in thought. She was just getting more depressed by the moment. And then the police officer shows up and he walks over and he says, ma'am, are you all right? She said, yes. He said, I need to see your driver's license and your insurance card. 
So she walked to the car, and she uh, grabbed her purse, and she reached into her purse, and she gave the uh, officer the, her driver's license. And then she uh, reached into the packet in the glove compartment, and there were all the insurance papers there. And so uh, she opened it up to give the husband, the, uh, give the police officer the uh, insurance card. And to her surprise, on top of the card, there was an envelope, and, and it had her name on it. And she opened it up, and here's what the note said. Dear Beth, if you're reading this, you've probably been in an accident. Don't worry. I pray that you are all right, and just remember, it is you that I love, Jim. Remember, it is you that I love, Jim. Do you know what the cross of Jesus is? The cross of Jesus Christ is God saying to you and to me and the entire world every day, no matter how you've wrecked your life, no matter how you have totaled your life, no matter how you have messed up and fouled up your life, it is you that I love. Now, here's the question. Why does David talk about these last two things, goodness and love? Well, remember, this is a shepherd song. It's a shepherd about, you know, talking about sheep. Now, shepherds don't drive sheep. They lead sheep. Shepherds are always out front. Well, now, wait a minute. Who would bring up the rear? We've been talking about a shepherd, but the shepherd's always out front. He may have 100, 200, 300 sheep. He can't see all the way back. So who brings up the front? Well, every shepherd that has a large flock always have trained sheepdogs. And normally there would be two dogs. And, 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 and they knew exactly what their job was. Their job was to follow behind the sheep. And, and if a sheep started, you know, wandering off or a sheep, you know, got hurt or started falling behind, they, they would bark and they would alert the shepherd to come and take care of that sheep. That was their job. And what David was saying was, this is so cool. David was saying, you know, I'm not only, only going to lead you. God's not only going to lead you as your shepherd. He'll be out front. But he's also got your back covered too. He's got this sheepdog called goodness. And he's got this sheepdog called love. And he said, they're always right behind you. They're always watching over you. They're always helping you when you have a need. And by the way, I am so glad that David tells us this goodness and this love doesn't just follow us some of the days of our life or most of the days of our life. He says, they are following me all the days of my life. Think about that. God never flips the switch. He never turns his goodness off. He never turns his love off. He's not good one day and bad the next. He's not loving one day and unloving the next. David said, all the days of my life until I draw my very last breath, God's goodness and God's love follow me right on my heels, right behind me. See, if Jesus is your Lord, if he is your shepherd, in the now, right now, we live in God's hands on earth. But now, wait a minute. What about when the book is closed? What about when the last word is read? What about when life is over? What after the now? What about the forever? Now, I live in God's hands on earth. But if the Lord is our shepherd, we will live in God's house for eternity. In God's hands on earth, in God's house for eternity.
Now, there's a seemingly insignificant word in this psalm you might miss normally. But it's, a, it's that little word, but it's a big word. It's called and. Now, I want you to listen to this verse with that word in mind. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word connects our today with our yesterday. It connects our present with our future. It connects our life with our death. It, it connects our beginning and our ending. But what comes after the end? Here's what he says. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had one final goal in his life. There's one more thing he wanted to do. It was his major goal. It was his greatest goal. It was his one goal. He said, I want to live in God's house forever. I don't mind telling you, that's my last goal. That's my major goal. That's my one goal. I want to live in God's house forever. He doesn't just say like some people say, I'll just die. <clears throat> I'll just cease to exist. I'm just going to dissolve into nothingness. He says, no, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. By the way, that would really speak to a shepherd. You know why? Shepherds really didn't have a home. Shepherds were always on the move. Shepherds lived in tents. And as soon as sheep clean off one spot and eat all the grass in one spot, what do they have to do? They got to move to another spot. They've got to move on. So a shepherd never got to settle down in one place. A shepherd not, never got to call any one place his home. But David says, one day, I'm going to make my final move. And by the way, it's interesting. The Bible talks about your body being like a tent and, and death takes the tent down. That's exactly what happens. David says, one day my tent is going to come down. And I'm not going to have a tent anymore. I'm going to a home that will never move and I'll never have to move again. I'm going to my final destination. I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. But now watch this. What makes this house so special it's not the size of it. It's not the shape of it. What makes this house so special is who lives in it and who it belongs to. It is the house of the Lord. By the way, have you noticed something? Do you notice that this psalm, this song begins with the Lord and it ends with the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. It starts with the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It ends with the Lord. Let me tell you why that's such a big deal. People ask a lot of times about heaven. What's heaven like and what's it going to be like? We, you know, I, I don't think even the English language can describe it. And I think, you know, God goes out of his way in, 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 with the limitations of human language to make it as beautiful as it can be. But I want you to get something in your mind today. What makes heaven heaven is not pearly gates. What makes heaven heaven is not golden streets. What makes heaven heaven is not a river of life. What makes heaven heaven is not there be light and no darkness. What makes heaven heaven is God. What makes heaven heaven is God. See, heaven's not just a place. It's a person. If the Lord is your shepherd, your final place is not a box in the ground. Your final place is not ashes in a jar. Your final place is God's house and God himself. Look, I don't know all the facts about the future. I'm just like you. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. 
I don't know where I'm going to die. I don't know the facts about the future, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know the finality of my future. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And see, what blesses me about this song we've been studying, and I hope you've been blessed like I've been, but you know what really blesses me about this song is God saved the best for last. So let's go back. From the beginning, God says when it comes to your need, you'll never lack anything. He says when you're hungry, I'll lead you to green pastures. When you're thirsty, I'll lead you to still waters. If you get off on the wrong path, I'll lead you to the paths of righteousness. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be right there beside you, protecting you with my rod and with my staff. In this life, when you're surrounded by enemies and tough times, you're going to be eating grace and peace and love and joy right off my table. And then he tells us that our earthly life is going to be full of goodness and love no matter what happens to us, because God's going to work everything out for our good. And he says, no matter what we do, he will always love us. And you say, man, it just can't get, it can't get any better. But it does, because then he tells us, then he tells us, if the Lord is your shepherd, the best is yet to be. Listen, even the very best this life has to offer you you haven't seen anything yet. Because I don't want you to miss the very last word of this psalm. What is it? Forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want, to, I want you to draw up real close and listen. Everybody is going to live somewhere forever. I'm going to live somewhere forever. You're going to live somewhere forever. I'm going to be somewhere forever. You're going to be somewhere forever. Now, I don't know what you're going to put before you're forever. I don't know what your address is going to be, but you are going to be somewhere forever. And here's what God says. God wants your final destination to be heaven. When, when you come out of the valley of the shadow of death, he wants you to walk right into his house. And this is what life is all about. Life is a journey that's just getting you ready for your final destination. So I want to close with this fantastic, exciting story. I want to recommend a book to you that uh, is it's one of those you can't put it down books, and, and I just finished it just a, a, not a short time ago. It's by James Donovan. And it's called Shoot for the Moon. It's all about Apollo 11, the voyage that took man to the moon and landed him there for the first time. Well, the chapter where they talk about when Neil Armstrong actually landed on the moon, I mean, it, it's a heart-pumping, heart-racing chapter, and it keeps you on the edge of your seats. So let me tell you the story. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they're, they're in this module, and they're going to land on the moon. Now, they're flying by computer, but it was about to land on the side of a crater uh, that, that uh, was about the size of a football stadium. And he said the boulders surrounding this thing were literally as big as automobiles. And Armstrong realized not only would that landing be extremely dangerous, but he said they were moving too fast to land there. So he did something he'd prepared for. He got it off the computer. He took manual control. He began to fly the module himself. Well, alarms started going off, telling them that they were going too fast or were getting too close to the ground, but they just had to ignore those alarms because this is what they came for. So all the time now, the ground's getting closer and closer and closer. And Armstrong's looking for a place to land, and, and, and he's speaking to the ground control calmly, but back at the, in America, 
they measured his heart rate at 150 beats a minute. In other words, his adrenaline is overflowing. He is full bore. His life is hanging in the balance. And then he sees this relatively smooth area between some large craters and a field full of rocks. It wasn't perfect, but it would just, you know, have to do. So he said, how's the fuel? Well, the engine didn't carry more than about 12 minutes worth of fuel. And Aldrin said, well, we've got about 8% left. Now, here's the thing. By this time in every simulation they had done back on earth getting ready for this landing, the lunar module had either already touched down or it had crashed or it had been aborted. So this new landing site wasn't even in complete view yet. The fuel's getting low. And now this red light comes on. Well, back in Houston, they're counting down the seconds before the Eagle ran out of fuel. It had about 60 seconds left. You could cut the tension with a knife. There were even some that was about, about to tell Armstrong to abort, but now they realized it had entered in what's called the dead man zone. If you know anything about flying helicopters, you know that. It's an old helicopter term, meaning when you get into a dead man zone, it is too late to abort. Your downward velocity is going to crash you into the ground. There's nothing else you could do. No need to ignite the ascent engine to try to get back to the mothership. In other words, it was literally a do or die moment. They were moving left when a blue light flashed on the control panel. And it said two words that were the most beautiful words they'd heard in a long time. Lunar contact. In other words, one of the probes had touched the surface. Armstrong shut down the engine. Neither one of them had even felt the touchdown, but they had stopped moving. And at 2.17 Houston time, these two astronauts shook hands, checked to make sure that everything was off and all was well. And after a few seconds, but with excitement in his voice, Neil Armstrong said those famous words, tranquility base here, the eagle has landed. Without telling anyone, those two astronauts had decided before they even took off wherever they land, <clears throat> they were going to call it Tranquility Base. When I read that story, I thought to myself, one of these days, we're going to take off from this planet. We're going to leave it at warp speed. We're, we're, we aren't going to, to be traveling, you know, from earth to the moon. We're going to be traveling from earth to eternity. But on this trip, we don't have to worry about fuel, crashing, or even getting back home. Because if the Lord is your shepherd, you will be home. It will be a home <clears throat> custom built by Jesus who died on a cross and came back from the grave so we can live in his house forever and ever. And that's exactly what we will do if the Lord is our shepherd and our lives will be pitch perfect. Would you pray with me right now? I just want to ask you one simple question. It's real easy. You die right now. Your heart quits beating. Your lungs quit breathing. Your eyes quit seeing. Your ears quit hearing. You are dead. Where will you be? Will you be in the house of the Lord? Will you take that one step from earth and eternity and immediately be in the presence of the God 
whose goodness and love followed you all the days of your life. And they only did that if he was your shepherd. Some of you, if you were honest, you'd have to say either A, no, I wouldn't be there. Or you'd say, I don't know. Well, simple question. Would you like to? Would you like to be able to say, no matter when my life ends, one thing I know, when my life is over, I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. That can only be true of you if He is your Lord. So if today you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've depended on anything else to get you to God's house but Jesus, if you know today you need this shepherd to be your shepherd, and you would like to make him your shepherd today, would you just pray this prayer with me right now? Just simply say it. We're going to say it the Bible way. Jesus, today, I confess that you are my Lord. I don't just say it. I am surrendering my life to you as my Lord. I repent of my sins today, and I surrender my life to you today. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are alive right now. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you're the Savior, and I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, not said it, but prayed it, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God saved you. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been given eternal life. Jesus has become your shepherd, and you have a reservation in God's house. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, and you meant it, I want you to do this. I want you to either to text this website here, crosspointchurch.com forward slash decision. Just go there and let us know about your decision today, or make it easier, just text yes, Jesus to this number. That's all you gotta do, 31996, <clears throat> text yes, Jesus to that number. Please do that right now. If you pray to receive Christ, we've had people every week pray to receive Christ. If you did that, just let us know about your decision. By the way, if you are a guest of ours, we want to send you something just for a first-time guest for showing up. Just let us know. Give us your information. We will send that gift to you. This is my prayer. We're going to sing a song. Our, our life's like a song. If it's without Jesus, it'll always be out of tune. But if it's with Jesus... It'll always be pitch perfect. My prayer for you today would be that just like me, when your life is over and my life is over, we'll reunite, we'll have a reunion again in the house of the Lord forever.